0: listening to Wife on Earth, the book review podcast with ordinary woman Celia Jesse. on Earth. On today's show we talk to a hospital porter who claims to be a reincarnation of Donny Osmond, who I think is actually still alive. Can someone check that? And a look at a wasp training school. Wife on Earth. As news of a comet headed inexorably towards the Earth comes through, we ask, blue's blacks or earth tones for the autumn? Wife and our celebrity chafing expert, Noam Chomsky, asks the all important question brief or boxer? Bust a sea shanty about catchment areas. White order. White order. And now it's time to turn on the computer and Skype our char Mrs. Coyle again. If you'll recall, she's been flitting between the capital cities of the world like some demented heiress from the 1930s. Last week she was in Paris, quaffing wine in some seedy back street, surrounded by prostitutes and mimes. I sometimes feel like I hardly know her at all. What will she be up to this week? Maybe she'll take up smoking opium, perhaps, or have enrolled herself in a Sheikh's harem. Well, let's see, shall we? Mrs Coyle's Capital Offences Hello, Mrs Coyle, are you there?
1: Get away from me, you vile beastie! Mrs. C? Oh, not you. I keep getting
0: pestered by this camel. Oh, so I see. Or is it a dromedary? Is it the camel or the dromedary who has two humps, Mrs. C? How should I know? What is this? Quiz night of the Red Bull. Sorry. So where are you, Mrs. C? Cardiff? Oh, very droll. No, as you can probably
1: tell by the great sphinx in the background there, my final destination on this around the world
0: trip is Cairo in Egypt. Final destination? Aye, I'll be home on Sunday. Hang on. Paris to Cairo to the UK seems a very odd way of doing it. As these cheap flights are booked. I'll be coming back to England via China. Well, we'll be glad to see you back, Mrs. C. Oh, that's nice. Yes, the house is in a terrible state. The dust has been piling up for weeks. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much. So how are you finding Egypt, Mrs. C.?
1: Oh, well, it's very interesting, you know. I went to have a shifty at the Giza Necropolis, having a gander at the mummies, you know. It gives you a chill to see all
0: those wizened bodies with their frozen faces and toothless mouths. Sounds just like you and your cronies down the pub on a Friday night. Oi! Only joke. I'm sorry, Mrs. Coyle. I don't know what came over me. You watch it. I am sorry, Mrs. C. So tell me, have you learned anything about the noble art of charring during your time in Cairo? (sniffs) I have, actually. I got talking to this old woman
1: name of Fatima, who was the one that had to tidy up the tomb of the King Tut when they opened it up. Filthy state it was in. Cobwebs everywhere. Then she got stuck in with the Dettol and the Mr Muscle. Do you know the best thing for getting rotting flesh off Lapis lazuli? Meaty bath foam. Fatima swears by it.
0: But I say, Mrs Coyle, wasn't the tomb of King Tutankhamun cursed so that anyone who violated it would suffer terrible bad luck? Oh, I don't think so. That's superstitious nonsense.
1: you come to think of it, Fatima didn't have any legs or any arms.
0: Well, I'd better sign off, Mrs Coyle. Any plans for tonight? Hi, I'm at five fellas today.
1: Abse, Mahout, Darwish, Latif and Zubri. We seem to hit it off. Tonight they've promised to take me up the Valley of the Kings, the Karnak Temple and the
0: Cairo Tower. Gosh, you'll be exhausted.
1: Aye, will be worth it.
0: OK, Mrs. Quarrow, thanks for talking to me and I'll expect you round with your feather duster at nine sharp on Monday morning, all right? And no slacking. Oh, why don't you... Oh dear, the, the computer switched itself off. Mrs. Coyle's Capital Offences Wife on Earth is a top three charting podcast in the podcasts made by a woman called Celia category and ours is the only one that reviews books from a modest four-bedroom house here in Lower Rapping. Unhappily, Milton Library, where we previously broadcast from, from series one and two, is currently closed, and so we're reduced to reviewing periodicals that already exist in our comfortable home. Today we're looking at something that Fred unearthed. Fred's my husband. It's the instruction leaflet for the Bovey Red Garden Flame Gun X300 that he bought in 1998. This is a simple publication and a very quick read. Uh, The front cover shows a man with a flame thing on the end of a pole smiling at some soon-to-be-annihilated dandelions and inside, the red bold lettering loudly describes the flame gun X300 and mentions the flame gun X500. They always do that, don't they? They tell you something better that you could have got when you've already brought the thing. Clearly, my husband Fred was unable to resist the promise of years of trouble-free service, so easy even a child could use it. And the oldest form of purification that destroys the weeds so that the blooms may flourish. Hmm, As distinctly Teutonic air in that last rubric that I'm not entirely comfortable with. Anyway, as the story unfolds, we see that the hero is a 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit controlled flame which is directed by the device at the base of weeds to stop sap rising and thus thwart growth in two days' time. By paragraph two, a second flame gunning ensues, consuming persistent roots and something called obdurant seeds to leave a potash-free residue and ground ready for conservation. (sighs) Interestingly, the pamphlet is illustrated with a warning star, stating that the X500 is the X300 with a hood and a trolley. Now, the reason this catches my eye is that this clarification only appeared the year following Fred buying the X500 and writing to complain that he may as well have got the X300 as the flame size was the same. He had no crops to shoot between, warranting a hood, and that it wasn't made clear. They duly refunded him the difference, altered their advertisement, and Fred proceeded to turn our lawn border into a scorched desert. If only I were in a scorched desert. After so long at home, I almost envy Mrs Coyle and her travels to Egypt. What wouldn't I give to be in an Egyptian resort, angrily and illegally reserving the best-placed sun lounger on the beach before breakfast with a motel towel, sleeping drowsily in the afternoon sun, periodically bothered by indigenous beggars offering shell necklaces and bootleg Nike trainers. Fred far away back home. We see Fred hates travelling. After only being able to order ham and cheese and a serious... English tea shortage, Fred would quite simply be overweight, furious and down with a migraine within 24 hours. It'll be much more relaxing me being here in North Africa without you, Fred.
2: I'm not sure. I'm entirely happy with that, old thing.
0: Oh, Fred, I'll be back in time to do the Saturday puzzle page. Good. Oh, Fred, I must go. The pips are going and there's an outdoor Pilates class starting up under the statue of the eternal watchful eye of the jackal god Anubis, which I need to hide from. Goodbye. Ha. I managed to avert him from worrying about me holidaying alone. Now, where is my room towel? Damn, it's a sea of room towels out here. I'll take this one with the parasol and the drinks table and pretend to be asleep. I'd never do that at home, of course, but if you want to blend in with the other tourists abroad, you must leave your morals at the check-in desk along with your passport and act like you've never acted before. Who knows what I'll get up to? Oh, look, here comes a salesman. I'd better open my Isabella land and look busy. Oh, dear, he's stopping. He's miming at me. Are you selling something? Six letters. Sounds like... Uh, mad. rare Comrade. Comrade? Brother. Oh, sister. Uh, she. Say. She say. She-sha? she Second word. Pope? Rope. Snipe. Climb? Uh, pipe. Pipe. Uh, she-sha pipe. Oh, what's in it? Oh, no, honestly, I couldn't. I don't like snorting things. Oh, smell it? Oh, why didn't you say so? No, you're right, I wouldn't have got it. Go on, then, I'll have a, I've got a good sense of smell. Let me have a go. Honey? No, sugar. Hunt mo- it's, it's molasses, isn't it? Molasses. Aha, hang on. An orange. Uh, a lawn? Like a leaf of some kind? Well, I might as well try it, you say? How much? No, I can't barter with you. I'd hate to be take advantage of you. What's What's that? Me lying on a motel waffle towel on a faraway beach in a modest one-piece and matching sarong and cape is the one at a disadvantage? Well, I suppose it depends, doesn't it? Well, if I wanted to jump into the sea and swim about, I'm pretty much ready for it. What are you doing? You're lighting it. What a flame. Look at the fumes. You're not going to inhale them, are you? Traditional, you say? How traditional? Over 600 years. Oh, go on, then. Is there much difference between the shisha 500 and the next one down? I'll try the same as you, then. "'Oh, gosh! I feel all dizzy. I feel like I'm floating. "'Quick, grab my hand. Let's away from this sea of tiles "'and head to the nearest ancient hills on a camel. "'Have you always been a seller of pipes?' "'Just nod. Are you making love to me? I knew it. "'How wild and free everywhere is here, outside of that stifling resort. "'I must buy a tobacco water pipe from you. Everything feels so strange. "'Why is the air wobbling about like that? What's that distant banging sound?' It is the sound of the building of the Great Pyramid of Giza. Oh, are they still doing it? No, Celia Jessen, you are back in the time of the pharaohs. Gosh! And you are Celia Jessen no longer. Your name is Necpatitit, she whose beauty rivals the rising of the sun in the morning and the sinking of the moon at night. Crikey! This very morning, five hundred young men will sacrifice themselves into the flames of a pyre as a tribute to your loveliness. Gosh, that seems a trifle excessive. Come with me. I'm Amunet. Together we have already lived a million lifetimes together. Let us lie by the Nile and eat dates and honey from silver platters in the shade of the great bejewelled statue of Horus. I say! Does it come with instructions? Does it come with instructions? What do you mean? For thawing pipes. Thawing pipes? I don't understand.
2: I said pass the instructions, Celia. I need to see if it's suitable for thawing pipes.
0: And suddenly I was back in the kitchen, frowning at the kite mark for a match in flame debris bin and Fred was carrying his bovy Flame Thing X500 out through the back door. ''Here's the leaflet, Fred. It says it can be used for lighting bonfires, too.''
2: ''Very interesting.''
0: So in conclusion, the leaflet is concise, informative and perfect for anyone who wants to check the specs and capabilities of the Bovey Red Flame Flame Gun One Star. And that concludes my book review for today. Still to come, the concluding part of our new regular bit of the series, a sideways glance at psychiatry with me in therapy, but first a special thought for the day with famous local actor Russell Nigels, entitled Real Life vs Online. Thank you, Russell.
3: Hello, everybody. You know... I seem to find that these days, much of my professional life, and indeed much of my leisure life, takes place on the World Wide Web. It is remarkable to me that I can record a voiceover for Bassett Law's adult diapers without even leaving my pet sit. And then, when they pay me, I can use my online bank account to pay my bills. <laughs> Yeah, at least I, I would be able to if I could remember my blasted password. What what is it? It's um you see I, I thought it I thought it was one of the Shakespeare's kings. I, I but I've tried Dicky Two, Dicky Three, uh and all all the Henry's, even eight. Yes. Lea, oh Leah, Lear. Yes. No, Leah is it? Overrated wanker. Right. Okay. Um well, never mind. What was I saying? Um... Oh, yes, 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 no, online, yes. No, I mean, now, the, on- the online world can be very seductive. Several of my fellow thespians have Twitter accounts, yes, with several thousand followers, um, on which they give vent to their political opinions. I think this is a mistake. I'm going to tell you why. Because I am of the generation uh, in which a performer um, was a figure of mystery whose opinions on pretty much anything were unknown. And I think this is by far the best way of going about things. After all, what are Christopher Biggin's opinions on agricultural policy? We have no idea. And the fact that we have no idea only serves to make him an even more intriguing figure. Is Melvin Hayes in favour of capital punishment? We may never know, and it is partly that fact that assures him his position at the very top of the tree, that is, light entertainment. (laughs) Although I have to say, I I often believe that if dear Melvin uh, did decide to have a column somewhere um, in which he divulged his opinions on, um, um, on, the, on the latest hearsay or something. Um, he should call it, um, uh, it ain't half hot gossip, Mum. <laughs> It'd be lovely, wouldn't it? But, um, he's better than that. Anyway, it seems to me that the base coin of the social media world is flattery all too often, I look on the Twitter, I do, I look on it, I, I, I confess, uh, and I see some actor, Timbo Roth, perhaps, or Imogen Pootsley, being, being placed to the sky. It's always, always, it's always, sometimes it's too much, I think, it, it, you know, if it's, it's, it's some film, it's just a film, it's just a film, Timbo, don't get over, you know, it's a film, all right, long time since Reservoir Dogs, okay, um, telly box, whatever, I don't know. But now, of course, everyone, everyone likes praise. But, but it's, it's, it's just that too much of it is not good for an actor. And, I, and I, 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 I've not received any praise myself since 1972, when a camera operator remarked that my performance as Hugo Flax in a masterpiece theatre recording of Robert Bolt's The Tiger and the Horse had been, and I quote, quite good. Uh, and I'm all the better an actor for it. So just bear that in mind, Timbo. You know, I suppose what I'm saying is that though online life can make one feel supported, haunted, even loved, there is no substitute for the real world. And on that note, I shall bid you farewell, for I'm off down the bookies to put a tenner both ways on Rolo Tuesday in the 11.15 at Kempton Park, and then I'm off to the Boozer before I miss happy hour. <laughs> Ironically named. Maybe it's Coralianus. It's spelled anus wrong. Fucking... tatty bye. Oh, Christopher Marley.
4: Of course it was. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Now, if you'll recall, I went a bit bonkers from being stuck with only Fred for company over lockdown and started believing the Archers was sending me secret messages about how Princess Anne was being impersonated by the 1973 lineup of the Goombay Dance Band, one per day, Monday to Saturday, and then alternately on each Sunday. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm fine now. But the cosmic shambles bods have insisted I talk to a psychiatrist, so I've been chatting to that nice, Dr Willoughby, who lives over the road. We've been talking for the last six weeks and it's really opened my eyes to the world of the subconscious mind. Oedipus this and inferiority that and guilt the other. Apparently there's a reason Fred is so intent on growing much larger parsnips than Mr Thromley next door. Not that I'll spill the beans. Fred doesn't believe in psychiatry. Actually, there are a lot of things Fred doesn't believe in. Vegetarianism, sex before marriage, laminate flooring, flimflammery and hokum, he calls them. Anyway, let's hear how my last session with Dr Willoughby went.
4: Now, Celia. Celia.
0: What? Sorry, Dr Willoughby, I was miles away. I was just thinking about your eyes. They're quite, quite blue. I was trying to think of something bluer than them to compare them with, but I couldn't. Lapis Lazuli? Or is that the capital of Arabia? No, that's Abu Dhabi. Gosh, I wish I wasn't such a dunce at geography. I should have paid more attention at school instead of just staring, wondering how Miss Fosdyke had managed to get her fringe so straight.
4: OK, if we can get back to the topic, which we were talking about last week, of the early days of your marriage.
0: Yes, Dr Willoughby. Sorry, Dr Willoughby.
4: And um, please call me James. Gosh. You said you settled into the role of housewife and mother quite quickly.
0: Yes, we had Katie and then Billy, and before I knew it, it was birthday parties and girl guides and cup meetings and coffee mornings with the WI. Laughing with Jill Goody about Eileen Clack's new hairdo that looked exactly like a motorcycle helmet... Whist drives with the Henderson Parkers next door or the Collinghams over the road, volunteering for the Vicarage Fates where Fred always dressed as a man from Tudor times, whatever the theme, and I manned the Whacker Rat in the drainpipe stall.
4: It seems, forgive me for saying this, but it seems very much like you were attending to others' needs and not your own.
0: Well, I do have my book club. Last week we did Tin Drum by Herman Hess. Have you read that? There's a bad little boy who never grows up. A bit like Peter Pan, but with Nazis. Then there's my sewing class, Scrabble Club. I've done lots throughout the years. Yogurt making, macrame, um,
4: Zumba. But do you not think all these things are an attempt to fill a void? Oh. I mean, how long have you and Fred been married?
0: 42 years next month. It's our bitumen anniversary, and Fred is cock-a-hoop because he's been planning to fix the roof for yonks.
4: Do you think your relationship with Fred changed when the children left home?
0: Gosh! Well, I mean, we definitely had more time to ourselves when Katie went off to Braintree to be a solicitor and even more when Billy went off to Salisbury to play drums for that goth outfit.
4: And did that bring you closer together?
0: I don't know. Fred seemed to spend more time in the shed. He had more projects on the go. That's when he built that replica of the Hindenburg that set fire to the Cartwright's rhubarb patch.
4: Celia, you may find this a very personal question, but you've never contemplated being unfaithful to Fred, have you?
0: Gosh, no, of course not. I could never bear to hurt him. I can just see his expression of betrayal, confusion and pain as he rattles his screw jar impotently, going off to his shed like some terrible reverse Captain Oates. I mean, of course, one fantasises sometimes one falls into a reverie while pricking the short-crust pastry, perhaps inevitably. One thinks, perhaps, just off the top of my head, of a gypsy caravan calling by, selling clothes pegs. Down jumps a Romany chap with dark, dashing eyes. He sees me through the kitchen window. Peg's forgotten, he rushes into the house, begs me to go with him, in his caravan through the sunlit countryside, me in a white dress with sunburnt shoulders and bare feet, him in a black waistcoat and neckerchief like David Essex, eating cunningly trapped rabbits and hedgerow blackberries and laughing all day long. But that's just a fantasy, it's not real.
4: Celia, these fantasies often come from somewhere buried deep in the psyche. Have you any idea where that might be?
0: I haven't the foggiest, I'm afraid. You see, I'm just an ordinary woman. I don't pretend to be clever or important or deep.
4: OK, Celia, well, I think we'll leave it there. How do you think this therapy has gone?
0: Is that it? Gosh! How did I do?
4: It's not a test, Celia. You did fine. But I still can't shake the feeling that you're... hiding something.
0: Hiding something? Oh, Dr Willoughby, how could I hide anything from you with your piercing blue eyes? You seem to stare into my very soul.
4: Well, what I meant is that you were hiding something even from yourself.
0: Gosh, I don't think so. You know, to be honest, Doctor, now it's all over, it feels like something of an anticlimax. I suppose I've been hoping for some great breakthrough or something, like on the flicks.
4: I'm afraid in the real world, psychiatry just doesn't work like that, Celia breakthroughs are actually pretty rare
0: I suppose so but like I said I'm just an ordinary woman I'm not given to histrionics and the like no not me I'm more of a nose the grindstone type dependable Celia that's me and I don't really believe that I'm the way I am just because when I was seven I once walked in and saw my mother kissing the coal man
4: (gasps) my god a breakthrough this is incredible gosh now we've identified the cause we can start getting you to move beyond it repair your psyche It will take a lot of work, three, maybe four appointments a week. I can clear my schedule if you're prepared to commit to it.
0: Three or four appointments a week? No, I couldn't possibly, I'm afraid. I'm far too busy. I've got the bowling tournament coming up and Fred and I are planning to spend a week at an Airbnb in Chichester to look at some ruined monasteries. No, I have far too much on. You're sure? Absolutely. I mean, this psychiatry thing is all very well, but you can have too much of a good thing. I'd better be going. Thank you for all your help, James.
4: Don't mention it, Celia. Oh, do you mind if I name a syndrome after you?
0: No, that's fine. Goodbye. Goodbye.
2: Hello, Fred here with my final lockdown diary. Mr Hancock has just been on the wireless to announce that tomorrow Toxborough will be moving from Tier 43 all the way down to Tier 12. Haberdashers, drapers and milliners will be allowed to open, and the amount of space required to be kept between individuals will be reduced from 22 metres to 7. Something approaching normality is to be returned to, thank heavens, though I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see us back here in Tier 46 by Friday. Things are definitely changing in the Jessen household, however. Though it grieves me to say so, I'm very relieved to say that mine and Celia's boy, Will, has finally left. He's formed his own bubble with his friends Dan, Toby, Adam and Ben in Chelmsford, where there is talk about forming a crew, whatever that may be. That woolly article the centre Martin is also to be leaving us in the next couple of days, as he apparently has a socially distanced gig in Portugal, where he'll be playing bass for a tribute band called Proxy Music. Apparently, each band and audience member will be encased in his or her own see-through inflatable plastic orb. It's very ingenious, though actually the original bass player did suffocate at the first run-through, which is how Martin got the job in the first place. I will not be sorry to see Martin go with his roll-ups, goat's milk, kombucha... Endless anecdotes about roading for Supertramp. Although he was company for Celia. Celia herself seems in better spirits these days. I scarcely ever see her bare her teeth any more when I remark on what a lot of weather we seem to be having these days or make my time-honoured remark winter draws on. As for myself, having got through all 101 of the Britpop greats, I shall be retiring my uke. It has achieved its purpose, which was to keep me sane through lockdown, although I'm not sure Celia appreciates it. Last night I had a dream that I was buried up to my neck in sand and she was beating me about the head with it, and the strings, as each blow hit my head, played out the opening melody to Caught by the Fuzz by Supergrass. Well, I shall bid you farewell, but before I give the ukulele to Sue Ryder, I'd like to play you a small ditty that I composed on it. It's called Lockdown Blues. Now, as I'm unfortunately able to sing a note, I've asked that woolly article, Centre Party Martin, to handle the vocals. Ready, Martin? Yes.
0: I'm ready too. Oh, you don't know my name. Oh, you don't know my name. But it transpires. But it transpires. I'm a He's a middle-aged white, white man. White man. And I'm He's living in the Shires like prison. he's in prison. That's no, that's no lie. I can't even go. Can't even go. To MFI. To MFI. You should see his face. I've got, got the, the lockdown, lockdown blues. blues. Maybe, Maybe I, I can't pick and, pick and choose. I've got, got the, the lockdown, lockdown blues. Because everywhere I, I lose. lose. Baby, it ain't so much fun. It's so much fun living with some waif and stray. And my grown up son can't seem to smile. Seem baby. To smile baby. All I can do is frown. All I can do is frown. Can't even do my hobbies. His hobbies. Since my shed burned down, it was your fault, Fred, to be fair. I've
2: I got, got the lockdown, lockdown blue.
0: Maybe I can pick and choose. I, I got the lockdown blues. Cause, cause every way I learn. Oh, I didn't know I was going to do a long note at the end. Thank you for listening. Well done, Fred. Well done, Martin. You have been listening to Wife on Earth, written and performed by Joanna Neary and Joseph Nixon. The cast are Ben Crompton, Julia Fluffley-Sneddon, George Egg, John Griffin, Al Kerr, Paul McLean, Heather Miner, and Joanna Neary, with original music written and performed by Heather Miner and by Paul McLean. This was a Wife on Earth production for Cosmic Shambles Network.